0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another naturopath specialty session. Today, we have not just a studying naturopath, but we have a non diet dietitian with us. We're welcoming Casey Conroy this week. So, Casey has a really interesting story to share with us, and she has somewhat a non conventional approach to dieting, weight loss, eating disorders, and somewhat the extremes of the health world. So, welcome, Casey.
1: Yay. Thanks, Amy. It's such a pleasure to be
0: here. Yes. So I thought we could start today sharing with the audience a bit of your story. Um, Can you tell Mm -hmm. us about like when you were growing up, what health was like to you and what exercise was like to you and how you've sort of got Mm -hmm. to where you are now as a busy mum of two, studying and working and doing all the things? (laughs) things,
1: things, things. short version. so growing up, I didn't really have a a massive interest in in health or exercise. Um, my my mum she's Chinese, so she brought us up on a lot of traditional Chinese foods and. Um, weird concoctions with funny smells and things that I was embarrassed to explain to my friends when they visited and just odd like just herbs and things that you don't come across in everyday Australian mainstream life right but they were normal to us so she would chuck ginseng and goji berries and um all these other herbs that I didn't even know um I didn't even know what they were until recently She would chuck all these kinds of things in our stews and our soups. And um, it was just what we ate long, long before goji berries were hit. So (laughs) um, there was that. And she was, you know, a massive gardener and all that. But I never had like a burning passion in particular for health until I turned about 16 and I can't remember what it was. I think I'd look through the pages of the Sunday Mail and look at the health section, and somehow started getting interested. Do you remember that? Somehow yep, started totally.
0: getting.
1: <laughs> I can't remember what it was called, but I loved it um, in health and well-being. And and I would I started picking up on just the mainstream kind of health advice, like oh. Uh, You need to be eating this many serves of dairy a day for your bone health. And so I started forcing myself to eat cheese, though I I hated it and we never bought it Um, or didn't need to buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's when I started getting interested. Uh, When I left school, I actually started off studying physiotherapy because by that stage, I was getting interested in sports and health. Um, And bloody hated it, <laughs> just, just hated it, mainly because of the hospital rotation that we had to do, which ironically enough, I ended up having to do in dietetics anyway. But, um, <laughs> so then I shifted gears. I was like, well, if I'm not into human health and wellbeing, maybe I'm into animal stuff. So I then went into veterinary science and I actually finished my five year degree and became a veterinarian. um but but by that stage i did a little bit of research work i didn't ever really dive into the clinic but by that stage i'm like damn it um this is not it either (laughs) i'm interested in the health stuff but not not so much in animals i just like yeah my heart was too soft i think to do some of the things we had to do animals so um i went traveling as you do and The whole time or most of the time I'd been at uni, I had been into yoga. So when I left school, I moved to the the big smoke of Brisbane, (laughs) Brisbane in Queensland Um, and discovered yoga and eventually somehow ended up teaching yoga. And so that is a way that I earned money through my veterinary degree. Um, came out of all that, went travelling, taught yoga in Thailand and lived there for a bit and in Bali and other places, which I loved. Amazing. Um, and somewhere along the way I decided I'm going to do nutrition and dietetics. That's what I'm interested in. Um, so I came back and studied that and became a dietitian. But along all that, along the way and behind all that, all that was happening, I I stumbled my way into some very disordered eating patterns and exercise patterns. so no, archie no sorry Amy. it's okay sorry. <laughs> kids <laughs> joining um, for those listening okay <laughs> it's all good okay hopefully your daddy will come get you soon. so um hi archie ah <laughs> uh, dear thank you for being so cool and flexible oh it's all good <laughs> i have <just laughs> myself i know exactly what it's like yes you do <laughs> um So, where was I? Yeah, so disordered eating, I think, along the way. See Archie. (laughs) Being being the personality that I am, which is just, when I dive into something, I really dive deep. Um, And so, probably by the time I was, I don't know, maybe early, or late teens, early 20s, I was rigid. I was really black and white about the way I was approaching my health and I say health in air quotes. So um, I was vegetarian, I think for about 10 years. And then I went vegan for a couple of years within that time and all in the pursuit of health, um, but in a really unbalanced way. So not really being educated on how to eat a vegetarian diet in a healthy, balanced way, way um, and the exercise came with it as well so I definitely along that um, timeline hurtled or meandered my way into orthorexia so a hell an unhealthy obsession with health mm. um, at the worst part of it to cut a but Cut it short. Uh, worst part of it, I lost my period for nearly a year. Wow. I was training and doing half Ironman triathlons, which oh, wow. is yeah, pretty pretty full on, pretty intense. You need to really be fueling your body well to do that kind of thing. Um, it, this was in my fifth year of a veterinary science degree, so it was crazy hours, like forty plus contact hours of uni. week I was working as well I was training 15 plus hours a week I was not eating enough to fuel my body of course my period disappeared and not knowing just how important periods are for female health I kind of just you know I was 21 or 22 I kind of just went oh yeah cool well now I don't have to worry about that which is (laughs) when I look back on it which is like I just see how Insane that is and I guess just uneducated that is totally So I stumbled. Yeah, it's not, just not a good,
0: 20 year old like, thing It's like oh, okay. That's <laughs>
1: convenient <laughs> Yeah, 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 well, it was certainly my 20 year old brain. Yeah um, So after a while I kind of started getting the sense that hey, maybe this is not good. <laughs> maybe it, uh, It's been nearly a year now. I haven't had a period I feel exhausted I was actually, interestingly enough, given how restrictive my diet was and how much, like, really how much I was exercising, I was the heaviest that I have ever been in my life. Wow. Because that cortisol was just kicking in and trying. My body was trying so, so hard to get me to chill out (laughs) just... Come on, we need we need to stop. And if you're not going to stop, then we're going to try to, you know, make sure you survive. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not looking after us. Um, at that point, I went to see a naturopath for the very first time, and it was um, at Endeavour, which was then the College of Natural Medicine. Yeah. Of Natural Medicine. Um, she gave me some herbs, and I got my period back. In about two weeks, which was amazing. But that was only the first step. It took me many, many more years to find a healthy balance with food and to heal my relationship with food and body and eating. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the short version. Um,
0: I love how you say heal your relationship with food because... There's like this big, I guess, um, expectation in society to have like the guilty side and the healthy side and that there's no way we're allowed to swing easily between them. So Mm -hmm. getting a good relationship with food obviously includes the dark and the light, the good
1: and the bad and allowing yourself
0: to be okay with it, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, Amy, I don't, like I've gotten to a point with my client, with my clients, I try to um, introduce this idea as well of not even calling foods good or bad, like not even attaching any moral standing to food um, at all, and just seeing different foods as having different nutrient content. Yeah. Um. Some foods are more more nutrient dense than others, and that's about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, Yeah. So trying to get rid of the labels is really helpful.
1: So how about
0: people who, so maybe are thinking, oh, I wonder if I fit in that orthorexia category. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a bit of a checklist that someone could you know go like okay well maybe i actually am or oh no i only like maybe have those two things so therefore i'm not like how does someone know if it's actually disordered
1: yeah that's such a good question because again it's not it's a continuum right Mm. there isn't um you're either totally fine or you're disordered it's a spectrum so on one End of the spectrum. There's, you know, no disorder, just normal eating or even intuitive eating, yep. uh, which is another thing. And then we move into disordered eating. And on the other, I sh- actually, I should just say, on the other end is an eating disorder, like yes. flat-out called diagnosable eating disorder. Yep. Um, you look up the DSM five, and they've got very, very clear diagnostic check boxes for, yep. for eating disorders. And then this space in the middle can be where disordered eating lives. So coming back to your question, signs that maybe someone's moving towards the disordered end of the spectrum are things like the amount of time someone's spending thinking about food and their body and eating and planning ahead. So... It's normal to think a little bit about this stuff. You know, we've got a, we've all got busy lives, and we're going to plan meals and that kind of thing. Well, some of us do anyway. <laughs> I'm not great at meal planning, but yeah. I, it does work well for some people. Um, <laughs> and so, I I kind of think if you're thinking about that stuff any more than, well, let me start again. Ten percent of the day. I don't know. As a really rough subjective non-scientific way of measuring something that's that's fine that's normal but if you're thinking about this stuff you know 50 60 70 80 90 percent of your waking hours yeah that's when you know that maybe this is starting to take energy away from me this is maybe taking energy away that I'd otherwise use in things that are really important to me so that's one thing um another thing is the level of anxiety and stress around these things because you can have someone who you know whether they have a medical condition or not whether they've got intolerances or food sensitivities or not knows um you know what works for their body so let's take the example of someone with celiac disease like clearly they can't eat gluten um so they learn which foods are going to contain gluten and obviously avoid those, they have a rough idea or they should have hopefully a good idea of what things they they can eat. And so they'll plan their day or live their life accordingly. And that's like the 10% or less that they're thinking about food. There's no real anxiety attached to that because they know, okay, I can't have gluten, this is why, and these are things I I can eat. Awesome. That's it. Full stop. But if someone is, like, really stressing a lot about this stuff, whether they've got an illness or not or a condition or not, and they're spending a lot of time weighing up food choices, if I eat this now, I'll go for a run later in the day to burn it off. Mm. If um, I've eaten too much sugar in the last few days, so I start to weigh myself more often or I start to body check more often, Um, or I start to just feel really uncomfortable and and stressed. And there's obviously different degrees of this, but it's when someone, yeah, I think there's that stress or anxiety or like unease, just unease attached to it. There's that thinking about it for a big chunk of um, their waking hours. And possibly as things, get worse people start maybe noticing yeah. making comments so i know that when i was you know hurtling down orthorexia disordered eating lane friends around me started to really notice i remember once i went on a trip to new zealand with my boyfriend and two really good friends and we'd i don't know we'd just been skiing or i can't remember and we walked into the closest cafe we were all starving and everyone just grabbed whatever food and i was there paralyzed with fear and tension going i can't eat any of this stuff um i'm gonna have to go find a health food shop or or at least a fruit and veggie shop and and buy all my ingredients and cook them and and my best friend is standing there going what's that are you doing, Casey? Like, just eat something now. What's going on? And I'm standing there going, "Well, I can't eat potatoes because it's got too much starch, and I can't eat this stuff and it's got too much sugar, and I can't eat gluten." And she's just like, "Dude, I think you have a problem with this." Oh, wow. And of course, I was in massive denial and and angry, and um, and that's of course just a cover up for feeling embarrassed and shame, and maybe a bit of fear about all this stuff. But, yeah, when, when maybe other people start to notice or make comments in a caring, gentle way, that's when hmm, maybe, you know, it's, it's really gotten to a level that's obvious. Yeah. So those are a few things I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that makes it a bit more clear because you know like being a woman especially our hormones fluctuate throughout the month and yeah maybe we do feel a bit fluidy and we're looking at our belly going oh it's a bit bloated today just before our period but if we're obsessing over that every day well then yeah that's when it's probably a bit more of an issue rather than just that one day before your period so 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 basically it's okay to feel fat sometimes but like don't freak out every day about it because that's probably more in the disordered
1: oh absolutely and as you said that 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 couple of days or week before we start to bleed there's all kinds of hormonal stuff happening that's when everything comes to the surface so yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's fine like if you're feeling down on yourself at that point and that's it and it's really correlated with that pms week then i don't think that's a big red flag but as you said if it's all the time and it's really getting you down and affecting relationships and taking your energy away that's when it's an issue
0: yeah yeah so interesting and I think a lot of women can relate not even just in the food sense but also in an exercise sense as well because there's like this punishment there's the reward with the food, then there's the punishment with the exercise. It's like that fine balance. And then the body's just constantly getting slaughtered by like all angles, the, the thoughts that are going towards the body. And then the, you know, the foods that the person's labeling as bad, but having anyway, and then they're, you know, slogging it out, trying to do something that they're not even particularly enjoying probably half the time. So yeah, exactly. how does someone find a better relationship with food?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a, such a good question, Amy. So what you were just talking about, that that um, battle that so many women are familiar with, where exercise has become this punishment, this equaliser, and food is, you know, a source of pleasure, but also this um, thing that's maybe got layers of... Um, other worrisomeness around it, like, oh, there's pleasure, but then I feel stressed afterwards. What I've found in my work, especially since learning about the non-diet approach and health at every size, which I can talk about later, um, is that a lot of that stems from our relationship with food, with our bodies, and in the culture that we live in where we are mercilessly surrounded by messages that our worth is very very closely linked to our body weight and our appearance and all that kind of stuff we can't help but grow up thinking that of course we need to look a certain way and fit into a very narrow range of acceptable body sizes and the only ways or the main ways we're taught to do that is by exercise is through exercise and diet yep and so rather than movement being joyful movement that we maybe do um to get or stay strong and healthy and fit and feel vital and instead of having food as um something that fuels us and is a source of pleasure not always but sometimes um can be medicine as well it's it kind of makes things Narrow down and become more black and white into what you were describing, which is exercise to burn off the sins that you've committed with food. Um, and so, what I'm, I guess, I'm getting at is that in our culture, we we are very weight centric, mm. and we are very um, fat phobic, and we are very, you know, en- enmeshed in this idea of having to stick to certain body sizes and acceptable. BMIs or body types or however you want to put it. And so that that preoccupation with weight leads to behaviours around food and movement or exercise that aren't the healthiest, perhaps. And that can cause a lot of stress. Yeah. So yeah, I think what I'm saying is a weight bias, an intrinsic weight bias in our culture leads to this pretty unbalanced kind of distorted relationship that lots of lots of us women especially but men as well yeah. have with food and bodies.
0: Yeah, definitely. And depending on the type of person once they're sort of going into that orthorexic state, they can be mm-hmm. somewhat obsessed with like nutritional panels and researching all the superfoods and doing all the mm-hmm. things that are somewhat right yet they, because they're so stressed, that cortisol, the adrenaline, probably pumping all day long and they're not getting a quality nervous system response, which is going to throw everything else out. So it's just, it's interesting to really like watch it from the outside in and be, okay, so let's provide these people with some solutions. So can you introduce what the non-dieting approach is?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So... The non- diet approach is is pretty much what it sounds like it's 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 an approach that I take as a health practitioner where weight is not a focus, so um, I tend to park weight in a corner, nice, a bit like fear mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not pretending that um, we're no longer worried about weight. That is so embedded in us. that I, I never expect someone to um, come in for a session and go, okay, all of a sudden, I don't care what I weigh anymore. I'm not worried about losing weight. Of course not. But we we try to park it in the corner and we focus on health, like actual what's going on in front of us. And I find that when we do that, um, when we park weight in a corner, the work that we can do together becomes much more effective and um, it's actually more compassionate. Yeah. Because when when weight as an issue is kind of sitting over, you know, the top of the lens or it, it's kind of changing the way we look at what we need to do to, to help this person and improve their health and as humane way as possible. When weight is sitting there, it can really blur things. It can really make things more complicated and convoluted than they need to be. And in some cases, in fact, I'd I'd probably argue nowadays in most cases, it can actually be harmful. So as you said, when someone's so concerned about um, that food and that exercise that they're spending all that time stressing about it, you described the stress hormones going up, short and long-term stress hormones going up, which distorts, you know, reproductive hormones. It has so many other impacts in our bodies. It takes away our peace of mind. Yeah. Um, and all those things are so bad for health. So this idea that I need to lose weight to be healthy is that, you know, it can get us into a lot of trouble. Whereas with a non-diet approach, it's about let's just – work on you now at whatever weight you are now let's focus on um, the health behaviors that we might need to change the little tweaks we might need to make to get you to a place where you're feeling better in your body regardless of what that body looks like yeah nice I like that so that's that's kind of the essence of non diet approach we don't do diets and we don't um, focus on weight yeah that's so cool
0: really really good and I think really just helping people to take that deep exhale and relax a little bit about it not freaking out that oh I'm gonna go see this dietitian and she's gonna put me on a diet because it's in her like title (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: the thing I hate about the word dietitian like oh my god it, it sounds so scary and it is scary so many people especially when I was doing hospital rotations um they come to me expecting a lecture yeah they come to me expecting me to be the food police and that's not what they get these days (laughs) yeah that's so nice
0: yeah it's just a really yeah like you say like that heart-centered compassion um approach to it and then at least that person no matter where they are at with their health with whatever they're thinking about their food and their weight at least they're going to feel heard and it's a safe space then because I don't think change can truly occur until someone does feel safe so they're taking that this let's just say the stress the weight the fear they're all just like parked in the corner like you said so that's really cool I
1: like the sound of it yeah you said that so well Amy you're right people can't truly heal because that healing really just comes from themselves but they can't really get to that place unless we create that safe space or, yeah. or just allow them to be as they are without, you know, going, well, we've got to do something about this weight first before we can do anything else, which is yeah. what a lot of people experience when they totally. go to, you know, um, um, unfortunately a lot of dietitians and a lot of doctors, um, lots of health practitioners really is that, You know, someone in a larger body, I've heard this so many times, goes into a doctor with an ear infection or a broken thumb or something and they come out with a diet or they are discriminated against because of their body size. And, you know, there's science backing up that people who experience stigma around their weight have poorer health. And, And when they take out confounding factors, but... The stigma is what is a huge contributor to that poor yeah. health, regardless of, you know, them being overweight or whatever. But the stigma itself is a huge problem. So interesting. So, yeah. So what you said, like, bring the compassion into the room, just letting that person be and not insinuating they need to be any other way, just making sure they feel heard. That is... powerful yeah yeah it
0: totally is um so was there any other parts of the non-diet
1: approach that we haven't covered is there anything else well i guess within the non-diet approach uh, yeah so i've talked about what we don't do so maybe i should talk a little bit about what we do do instead so yeah yeah so if we're not doing um, weight loss dieting, we're not focusing on weight, that kind of stuff, what do we do? A lot of people will wonder. <laughs> They're like, what else is there? How, how do you start to improve relationships for food? It's such a, a nebulous kind of hard to grasp concept. Um, but the first, the first thing that comes to mind is an approach called intuitive eating, which is basically about you know how early you were saying that people really get wrapped up in their heads around um, doing all the right things and following all the right rules and doing, you know, even using numbers, not everyone does. But instead of using all those external reference points, coming back into their body. That's the crux of intuitive eating. It's yeah, coming back into your body because not a lot of people are there and... Um, Myself included, it's yep. it's gonna really be hard in this society to be in our bodies a lot. We're mm. so much in our heads, yeah. Um, and let's face it, it's not always the easiest place to be, right? Totally. So yeah, so that that is probably the first thing that I do with people, and that I try to do with myself, really. Um, get people back into their bodies because if we can start to really feel when we're hungry, when we're full, how hungry we are, how full we are, um, starting to like get an idea of what foods I feel like right now, what am I craving? Because as you know, as a naturopath, there's often a physiological mechanism behind a lot of these cravings. Um, just getting curious about what's happening in my body right now. What might I actually need instead of using um, the diet plan that I got off Dr. Google or <laughs> smashing myself with two hours of high-intensity exercise a day? Yeah, You um, know what I mean? So getting into the body is like a really it's, – it's the core of intuitive eating. Um, yes. Yeah. Also, with intuitive eating, there's about ten. Well, there are ten principles. Intuitive eating is a book that was written by Evelyn Tribole and Elise Resch. These two dietitians, yonks and yonks ago. And there are ten principles, and they're all pretty much around. Well, some of them are around coming back into the body and listening to body cues again and getting comfortable with that. But others are around the mental stuff. Yeah. So. Go ahead rejecting diet mentality seeing how much we've maybe bought into that mentality and how it's actually affecting us in in negative ways um starting to notice what are all the food rules that i'm sticking to are they really helping me like getting really curious are these really helping me or are they hindering and that's something that with some clients i'll get I'll get them to write a list of food rules, um, even if they've got a lot of nutrition training and they think, well, of course I shouldn't be eating X, Y, Z because science shows that this is our view. I'll still get them to write that list out and then step back and look at that list and and get them to really honestly think about whether those rules are really helping or are they just causing more stress and more Um, harm yeah that's really Um, good yeah and then I think another part of intuitive eating is finding movement that works that feels good in our bodies that's enjoyable and I think one of the very last principles is that is coming back to just gentle nutrition principles because a really big myth that people have with non-diet approach and intuitive or attuned eating is that Well, I just eat whatever the hell I want, right? (laughs) Whatever I want. um, Yeah, but not really. (laughs) Yeah. It's not quite that. Yeah. um, Still having some basic nutrition knowledge, you know, stuff that's really solidly evidence-based and also has been um, understood by people for thousands of years and different traditions, but just basic things like, Uh, yeah, veggies and fruit are good for you and <laughs> having foods with, you know, high nutrient density are good for you and, like, just some basic stuff Yeah, coming from that place and not getting sucked into the food world and the, all the other traps that actually can pull health down. Mm. So that's a, a very, <laughs> a very general overview of intuitive eating, which is one of the approaches I will use within, like, not just the non-diet approach, but the way I work. Yeah, I like um, it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the other big part of it, Amy, is is taking that really client-centered approach. So, um, my probably my two favorite counseling modalities are motivational interviewing, oh, nice. and um, yeah, and acceptance and commitment therapy. So, bringing in that compassion and and Letting the person take the wheel, actually. Yeah. I, I can be the passenger. I can have the sat-nav. <laughs> but we're <Yeah. laughs> the ones at the end of the day who are going to decide where they are going. Um, and that's really different. This is not stuff I learnt in my, <laughs> my degree in nutrition dietetics. No way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was thought to be an educator and to just deliver the nutrition education, right, and just tell people stuff. But what I've learned is oh, far more effective is listening first, and the, and the very first thing I try to do is ask them. So, what do you already know about X, Y, Z about this condition that you're dealing with? Because chances are they know a buttload. <laughs> they actually already know a lot. Sometimes they'll know way more than I will know about that condition, um, and they teach me. I can learn so much from that. So, listening. Um, and effective counselling skills can actually save us as practitioners so much time and, and forge an incredible relationship with the client rather than put us on a pedestal and make them, you know, just the passive receiver of information.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. I really love the sound of that approach and I think, well, it's probably a strength of mine um, that I do tend to try and get this equal ground between the practitioner and client as well so it just it's just the way I tend to approach life in general so it's nice to hear someone else doing it and that it actually has some science behind it too because it's it's a really just like let the person say what they need to say and they're so and it's I love it because you can hear them kind of like coming to conclusions and realizing and and uncovering things and being like oh and then oh and you can see all the uh aha moments happening along the way and it's just like
1: cool (laughs) it's so much easier isn't it yeah (laughs) it's so so much easier and it's really um it makes you just want to keep doing this work for me it does anyway yep definitely Oh, that's so beautiful to hear that you, you work in that way as well. Amy. Yeah. I just think it, it's so crucial. Definitely, so
0: crucial. definitely. Mm-hmm. So, Casey, is there a particular sector of the population that you tend to see more than others that you have a special interest in or do you tend to
1: just sort of see anyone who needs this sort of help? Um, at this stage... I see people with a pretty wide range of different health conditions, but what the work that I really like, really it gets my heart going is, is working with women, I guess, women usually, who are struggling with weight, body and eating issues. Yeah. So they know, you know, typical client is, is a woman who, and it's usually adults, not so many adolescents, um, a woman who, has probably been on the diet roller coaster for five, ten, twenty, forty years. Sometimes oh, I gosh. see women who are like in their seventies who are still like trying so hard to lose weight, and it's heartbreaking. It's definitely so heartbreaking. heartbreaking. But however long they've been doing it, they've come. They've gotten to a point where they are just so sick of it, but they don't know an alternative. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the cross that's where I'll often meet people um, often, not always, but often there are hormonal issues occurring alongside Definitely. that weight and yeah. concern so and and that's where you know naturopathy is so powerful, and herbal medicine is so incredible um Food as medicine is is amazing too. If we can come at it from a a non weight focus, I yes. believe, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's hormonal issues, but yeah, that's the typical person that i'll see nowadays yeah, I do nice. see some um, you know diagnosed eating disorders, people yeah. with eating disorders, um, and that's that's pretty special work i i personally undergo a lot of mentoring and supervision to be able to do that work because that's just a whole other (laughs) a whole other dimension definitely Um, Yeah. yeah most of the people i see are maybe have some kind of disordered eating and weight and body issues yeah cool and so
0: if somebody wants to get in touch with you where can they find you
1: yeah, um, so you can find me on the World Wide Web. My business is called Funky Forest Health and Wellbeing. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Forest forestyogini. Uh, and where else? I'm on Facebook as well, Funky Forest Health and Wellbeing.
0: Amazing. And just to let people know, Casey is an amazing writer. I should have said that at the start. Um, so if you can get into her blogs and read them, there is so much amazing information in there as well so Casey thank you so so much for joining me today it has been awesome and I'm sure the audience is going to get such a huge sigh of relief to know that there's something else out there that they don't have to be on a diet for their whole life
1: totally oh thank you so much Amy this has been a lot of fun you're welcome (laughs) thanks so much